from Johannesson Studios, I'm Jackson Howell, and this is The Yearly. Good afternoon. Today, we'll be talking about mass incarceration. The United States contains about 5% of the world's population, but has 21% of the world's prisoners. The United States prison population has increased 500% in the last 40 years, without a subsequent decrease in crime. High incarceration rates cost the government over $182 billion a year and imprison black Americans at a rate five times that of whites. Multiple complex and historical factors perpetuate mass incarceration. Political inertia has dramatically hindered reform. Beginning in the 1970s, tough-on-crime stances were seen as electable positions for both parties. This pushed both Democratic and Republican candidates to advocate for tough, rule-of-law stances that transformed into increasingly punitive criminal justice policies. The prison population grew in the 1970s because fear and racist attitudes supported increasingly punitive policies. This tough-on-crime stance explains Nixon's infamous war on drugs. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. Tough on Crime Policies by Ronald Reagan. Every moment wasted is a moment lost in the war against crime. In Bill Clinton's 1994 crime bill. The fear it provokes are crippling our society. The crime bill before Congress gives you a chance to do something about it. A chance to be tough and smart. All of these policies significantly increase the United States' prison populations while disproportionately imprisoning members of minority communities. In recent years, however, criminal justice reform has been a point of bipartisanship. President Trump's passage of the First Step Act is an important policy to begin reform. spoke with those involved in our criminal justice system, the more clear it became that unfair sentencing rules were contributing to the cycle of poverty and crime like really nothing else before. Yet this policy fails to focus on sentencing, instead focusing on ethical prisoner care and recidivism. 2020 candidates for the Democrats are seeking to make ending mass incarceration through sentencing reform a central platform issue. We'll make sure that we don't just do the First Step Act when it comes to criminal sentencing, that we move to the Second Step Act. Let's reduce those sentences for nonviolent offenders and let's get them jobs and let them vote when they get out of prison. Nobody who 
got in prison for marijuana, for example, immediately upon being released, they shouldn't be in there for Mr. That should be a misdemeanor. They should be out and their record should be expunged. Because this is such a polarizing and salient topic, us here at The Yearly thought that we would want to um, consult some outside opinions and kind of look outside of the United States and see if there are any countries that could give us guidance or help about different policies. Today, I'm going to call three of my friends who are experts of their own countries and their country's criminal justice policies. And we'll see if there's any helpful road maps that we can conclude from other countries to the United States. Hello. Hi. Hi there. Hey, it's great to have you all here. Um, could you introduce yourselves to the pod and kind of, you know, tell me who you are and your different countries that you've been researching? Hi, I'll go ahead and start off. My name is Grace, and um, I, for the past three months, I've been doing extensive research on criminal justice reform in Finland. Finland is a valuable case study because during the 1950s, it faced an incarceration rate that was four times that of its other Nordic um, countries. But since then, it has um, implemented multiple reforms that have effectively reduced its incarceration rates. And so I've been looking more in depth at those reforms and the impacts that they've had. Some have been more effective than others and that sort of thing. That's awesome, Grace. My name is Hannah, and I have been studying the case of decarceration in Germany for the past couple of months. Germany is a really interesting case study because in the late 1980s, they were able to undergo a massive overhaul of their criminal justice system. Um, in the 1983 to 1988 time period, when most countries' prison populations were increasing at an average rate of 3% per year, Germany's prison population declined at an average rate of 3.5% per year. This, importantly, was due to a general attitude shift within the prosecutorial space in Germany. Um, a lot of prosecutors and judges and law enforcement officers realized that Germany was too punitive towards young nonviolent offenders. And they decided to change kind of prosecutorial strategies to encourage nonviolent of young offenders to have alternative sentencing options. So instead of um, putting them in jail, they offered fines or community service. And that kind of overhauled their whole criminal justice system and impressively decarcerated the country. And I'm Claire, and I've been researching Hungary for the past three months. So in the 1990s, Hungary transitioned from socialist rule to a democratic capitalist society. And during this transition, they enacted and removed and then reenacted liberal criminal justice policies. So these three policies provide a unique opportunity for comparison about the effects um, of the different um, reforms. Great. Thank you so much. Um, can you all just tell me a little bit more specifically about the different policies or actions within your countries? Yeah, I can go first. So in Germany in the 1980s, it was less of a specific tangible policy that catalyzed this change, but more so a general attitude change within the judiciary of the country. Members of the German judiciary organized a conference in 1983 where they were specifically going to speak about the number of remands that 
was held by German prisons. Now, remands are pre-trial detainees, and Germany has a practice of actually holding remands in prison until their trial. Um, they were specifically concerned with this population, but the conference kind of expanded past that conversation and, and it directly addressed the number of youths in German prisons. Kind of after this conference, there was a broad consensus that Germany needed to reduce this youth population, and German prosecutors just kind of began delivering lighter sentences to nonviolent youth offenders. It kind of sparked this culture change within the German judiciary that was substantiated by different members of the German government advocating for this policy and the German media covering and endorsing such a change. And, you know, the culture change has kind of lasted until today. So in Finland, some of the most salient reforms were those that prompted courts to use alternative sentencing practices and revise the criminal codes. The country began to increase the use of fines, community service, conditional imprisonment, and unconditional imprisonment as means of punishment. It also updated the ways that the laws define crimes and their penalties. Um, within Finland, the, um, the rate of those convicted of theft or um, driving while intoxicated was particularly high. So policies experts sought to refine, redefine both of these crimes. Um, they passed in the in the 1970s. They passed a drunk driving reform, which changed the punishment for DWIs from imprisonment to conditional imprisonment, meaning that the offender only serves the sentence if probation is provoked. And so, by updating these criminal um, definitions, um, the country was able to reduce the percentage of convicted offenders. Um, it reduced from about like 70 percent in the 1970s to 12% in the 1980s. And um, similar effects were shown when they redefined um, the punishment for theft. This reduced um, custodial sentences from 40% to about 11%. In Hungary, the Criminal Justice Acts in 1993 and 2003 both um, dealt with drug offenders apart from criminal law through treatment and rehabilitation, they gave judges more power in sentencing and removed mandatory minimum sentences, and they also required shorter minimum imprisonment lengths. So the reforms in 2003 also worked to combat crime without targeting groups um, due to existing biases and prejudices and aimed to decrease the prison population and incarceration rate specifically. In contrast, the Criminal Justice Act of 1998 was not a liberal policy, and it aimed to reduce crime by establishing tough punishments to deter it. These reforms took place after an election season that had politicized public safety and crime, and a right-wing law and order party had won and introduced those policies. Thanks for all of that great information. In closing, I would love to kind of just hear a concise way that we could apply your country's policies and the lessons that you've learned from your policies back here at the United States. That's an important question. So the change in climate of the judiciary in Germany kind of incorporated the whole spectrum of custody for young offenders. The overall approach to young offenders shifted to one of patients in Germany until they grow naturally out of crime. German prosecutors realized that Youths often suffer from the highest rates of recidivism, so they sought to prevent them even going to jail in the first place. 
I think that United States needs to take a similar approach to young nonviolent offenders, um, realizing that they can serve time for their crimes through community service or paying fines or other means that does not involve them being locked up. Um, This whole change of attitude could be very important to how the criminal justice system treats young people. Learning from Finland, the U.S. could benefit from Finland's use of alternative sentencing practices. For example, the U.S. could increase its use of community service as a means of punishment. This could effectively um, decrease the rate of incarceration within the country. The country could also reconsider the ways it punishes nonviolent crimes, as Finland did with theft and driving while intoxicated. Um, These In Finland, these both dramatically decreased incarceration rates within a span of 20 years, and I think we could see similar effects in the United States. I agree. And we can also learn from Hungary, because while it's a stranger country to the U.S. in many ways, it also has dealt with distinct minorities. The biggest takeaway, in my opinion, from Hungary is that these reforms were possible in a country with a problematic racial history, much like our own, with minorities being overrepresented within the prison population. Specifically, the U.S. could adopt Hungary's policies in 1993 and 2003 that addressed drug abuse apart from criminal law, and we can give judges more discretion in sentencing length for all offenses. Wow. Thank you all so much. That was really helpful to hear that, and I hope that was helpful for you, the listener. Um, That's pretty encouraging that different countries have faced problems like this, but they've found ways through effective policymaking uh, to kind of move forward through this. Um, And here at The Yearly, we're committed to using leadership and public policy to enact change, and I'm confident that the United States will find a way to lock up mass incarceration for good. This is Jackson Howell signing off from The Yearly. We'll see you next year.